0: joining us here on The Rescue, where you will hear Brother Dewey Dewar preaching in the Word of God concerning the last days and events that are in our world today, leading to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Most importantly, that you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And now, here is your speaker, Brother Dewey Dewar.
1: Praise the Lord. I'm Dewey Dwyer, and we're here again to show you more about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to be looking in Philippians, the book of Philippians today. And uh, Paul was writing to this church. And each time Paul wrote, it was not only to a church or to a particular people, but was to all people. As God was speaking through him, showing people how to be saved and how to live after they're saved, and how to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. As we see in Philippians chapter 2, Paul was saying to this people, he said, If there be any con- consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of spirit, if any bowels of mercies, and mercies fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being in one accord of one mind. Now all Christians, born-again Christians, can easily do that because the Holy Spirit that lives in every born-again Christian brings about this one accord and one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in loneliness of mind and Let each esteem others better than themselves. So we have a world today where we've got this religious group who thank they're gods. They want to esteem themselves as if they were God and pretend that they're God many times. They seem to forget that Calvary's cross proved who was the God of this universe. And his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he did this for you and I, that we could be saved, and only through Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Let's read on in Philippians chapter 2. Let nothing be done through strife and vainglory, but in loneliness of mind let each esteem others better than themselves. Let not every man, look not every man on his own things, but on every man also on the things of others. Let this man be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in, in the form of God, who being in the form of God, though it not rob, thought it not robbery, to be equal with God, but made himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, made himself of no reputation, and took upon him The form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. So God himself came down and took on the form of man and finished the works on Calvary's cross that you and I could be saved. He said, I'm the only way, I'm the only truth, and no man comes to the Father but by me. So he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life, and he's the only way to heaven. And he's the only one that can save you, not any person on this earth, not any human, but Jesus Christ only is the way to God. But made himself of no reputation, and took on him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross." Wherefore God, verse 9 of chapter 2 of Philippians, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, the Lord Jesus Christ, and gave him, the Lord Jesus Christ, a name that is above every name, that name, at that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow. At the name of Jesus every knee shall bow. Of things in heaven, things in the earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of the Father, of God the Father. Verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as my, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's between you and God. By the word of God, showing you how to live after that you've come to the Lord Jesus Christ. For it is God which worketh, and you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So God wants you to obey him after you're saved. But the problem we have today in this world today, we have people who will not kneel to the Lord Jesus Christ, who will not obey the words of God, who will not come the only way, which is Jesus Christ. They're going to do it their way. They try to take this particular scripture out of context and try to tell you, that you're working your way to get into heaven. Verse 12 again. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now which more, much more, in my absence. And then they take this word out of context, which work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Yes, work out your own salvation according to the Holy Scripture of God, The King James Version, the 1611 version of King James. And that is the Word of God, which God has showed you that you can work out your salvation by doing things that God said, not work to get your salvation. No works. You're saved by grace through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, least any man boast. Jesus did it all on Calvary's cross. He paid for your sin and your sins on Calvary's cross. This is the way that you can go to heaven. But it's only through Jesus. And this is what God has told you. That you will see the King of Kings. You will see the Lord of Lords. Either you will see him here, or you will see him at the great white throne judgment. Heaven or hell, that's your choice. In our world today, as we look at television, lies, deceit, treachery, pouring into your living room, into your mind, trying to control your mind continually away from God. Never a moment that you can watch secular TV that you see anything to glorify Jesus. It's all to glorify man and the world and the leaders of the world. And that's what we're seeing on our world today. This is what God said would happen in the last days, that false prophets and false teachers would deny the true word of God. Like priest, like teachers, like people. They're all the same. Over in Hosea, God told us, said, this is what you will see in the last days. Like priests, like people. Whatever the leaders do, that's what the people do. They do not come to God as they should. They go their own way. But one way, you will see the Lord Jesus Christ. You will see Him here when you admit you're a sinner. You believe in the death, the burial, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. You believe in His finished works on Calvary's cross. And then God will born a brand new person inside of your body when you ask Jesus to come in your heart. And then you will see Jesus in heaven. You will see Him in your heart and soul while you're living on this earth. You will know that Jesus is real. But you will see Him physically in heaven if you're a born-again Christian. But if you do not choose to be saved, then you will see Him at another place called the Great White Throne Judgment, just before you're cast into the lake of fire. You will first, when you die, you will first go to hell and live for 1,000 years in total torment. Then you will be taken out of hell, and you will be brought before the Great White Throne Judgment, where every Christian will be there on the side of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they will be your judge. Jesus is the final judge. And you will come before a great white throne judgment, as mentioned over in Revelations in the 20th chapter. This is for real. This is what's going to happen to you if you do not receive Christ as Lord and Savior. This is the time you will see the King of kings and the Lord of lords as he sits on the great white throne judgment. And you will be judged by every word that you ever said upon this earth, every action that you took upon this earth, your lies, your deceit, your treachery, your things that you did against God and against fellow man. This is your eternal punishment. First in hell and then the lake of fire. And Jesus said over in chapter 20 of Revelation, This is real, boy. This is not just one of those fake shows you're seeing on television or to movie. This is reality. You're going to be the main player. You're going to be the star as you brought before the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, the Word of God says in chapter 20, verse 11, I saw a great white throne and him that sat upon it whose face the world, the earth, the heavens fled away. And there was no place for them. No place to hide. Just imagine an outer space. The great white throne judgments is going to be there. And it'll be said all the people will be seated right there before Christ. And billions of people will be standing on nothing. The earth is gone. No place to hide. The stars and the heavens gone. You're standing out there in outer space. And he said, I saw the dead. The small and the great stand before God, the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings. And the books were opened. Notice that? Billions of books, every word, every man set upon this earth as a lost sinner is recorded in these books because he did not receive Christ as Lord and Savior. These books has got a record of every person. The computer of today is just a little miniature thing compared to all the records that God has of man and of every word that ever spoke, as the books 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 were open. And then he said another book was open, which was a book of life, and the dead were judged out of, of those things which were written in the books. The dead, the wicked dead, is judged at this time after they've spent 1,000 years in hell. And now, the books are open at the great white throne judgment. The King of Kings and all the born-again Christians are standing there. As you walk by and you see everything you did all of your life, every time that you rejected the Word of God and refused to be a born-again Christian, refused to ask Jesus to come in your heart, no place to hide, this is what happens. And then... Every man was judged according to the works, their works. The sea gave up the dead. All these people had their ashes poured in the sea and sprinkled all over the oceans. The sea, everyone that ever died in the sea has been in hell for 1,000 years. And the sea gave up their dead. And death and hell. Death and hell. Remember the fourth rider, the four horsemen of apocalypse. The fourth rider was dragging billions of people to hell. Death and hell was riding rampant. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged ever man according to his works. And then, cast into the lake of fire. The more you've heard the word of God, the deeper in the lake of fire, the greater the punishment. Sorrow, sickness, and pain, burning throughout eternity, dying but never fully dying. Why? All because you refused to kneel to the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, the Word of God says, over in Philippians, that the name that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, and all things of the earth and heavens and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Also, Romans 14, re-said the same scripture. Romans 14, verse 11 and 12. The Bible says in chapter 14, verse 11, For it is written, back up just to verse 10, For we shall all, for we shall all, Stand before judgment. The judgment seat of Christ. Every born again Christian will be at the judgment seat of Christ in heaven which will be rewards for everything that a Christian has done to glorify Jesus not for things that wasn't to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ because all things are to glorify Jesus and God gives his people rewards here on earth as well as in heaven. And for we, the born-again Christians, shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That's in heaven. But at the great white throne judgment, every lost person, every person who refused to believe in the death, burial, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, will be judged according to their lies, their deceit, their treachery, and their murders, all the hatred, all the things that they did against God. For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, Lord Jesus Christ. Every knee shall bow to me, the Lord Jesus Christ. And every tongue shall confess to God that He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So the verse 12 says, So then let every one of us, so then every one of us shall give an account of Himself to God. No matter what you do on this earth, if you do not do it to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ, and then, if you do not do that, then you will give an account for all the billions of sins that you committed upon this earth, but you can erase every one of those sins right now. This can happen in a matter of moments by believing the Word of God. And the Word of God said, If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Thou shalt be saved from what? From hell and eternal darkness and the lake of fire. From every sin that you ever committed, you'll be saved from that. You will be saved instantly. Not progressive. You will be sanctified, set aside for God, by God, instantly, progressive, Working to glorify God. Before you're saved, your works are as filthy rags. You can do all the good you want to in this world to mankind and all the things, but they're all as filthy rags, good for nothing. But the Bible says over Matthew, not only will you kneel now or later, one of the two. Matthew chapter 7 God spoke about people who were religious in the last days, and in the first days, and in the middle days, and all the times through the civilization. People have tried to be religious. But this last times, these last few days, these last few hours that we're having upon this earth, we see a form of godliness, but denying the power, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. They want their own power, and they're determined to defy God and to not turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen what God said about that. Listen what God said in chapter 7 of St. Matthew. He said in verse 21 Not every one that saith unto me, Jesus talking, not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of God. The will of my Father which is in heaven. What is the will of God? The will of God that you admit you're a sinner. The will of God that you believe in the death, the burial, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And ask Jesus to come in your heart. That's the will of God. That's the first will of God. That's the first commandment of God that all men be saved. But few people, very few men will obey that command of God. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should repent. It's not not God's will that you go to hell. God didn't make this earth for you to go to hell. He didn't let you come on and live on it to go to hell. He made it that you might have a chance to go to heaven. Jesus came to Calvary's cross, walked upon this earth, that you and I could go to heaven. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. And Jesus went on to say and said, Many will say to me in that day at the great white throne judgment, in that day at the great white throne judgment, Jesus said, Many will shall say unto me, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? A time of the end is now. The Lord's coming. Soon the rapture of the church in Revelations tells us, and all the different ones tells us, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And 2 Thessalonians said, He who now it will let until he's taken out of the way. And then the Antichrist is revealed. And when the Christians are taken off this earth, you who have heard the word of God, you're going to believe this Antichrist. You're going to go to hell. I mean, it's reality. It ain't no joke. This ain't no conversation. Just to be talking. This is the word of God. The Lord Jesus Christ is saying to you. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? people are prophesying ungodly things all over the world saying, I know, of course the devil, the antichrist, his system is working right now. And he'll soon be able the see." But he's having his people to prophesy, try to counteract the things that are coming up upon this earth. But he said, they shall, there shall be people who will say, have we not prophesied in your name, Lord? And in thy name cast out many devils? And have we done not many? Have we not done wonderful works? We see a world through goodness trying to do all the good things that mankind says, this is good. This is good. All over our world, peace and safety is being cried out. God said when they cry peace and safety, and then sudden destruction cometh on them. The ones who refuse the word of God, refuse to believe in the death, burial, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. The same Lord of all is rich unto all he call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is an absolute must. You're dealing with your life. My friend, every person that refuses to believe in the death, burial, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen again. God said in Philippians chapter 2, Wherefore God has highly exalted Jesus and given Him, Jesus, a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, whether here on earth or at the great white throne judgment. You can only do it one of two places. You won't be able to do it after the tribulation starts. Your time is now. And when Jesus said you will kneel to Him, it's simple. You simply admit you're a sinner. You simply believe in the death, burial, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and ask Jesus to come in your heart. Be willing to repent. Turn from your way of life and turn unto God. Don't try to fool God. Simply do what God said. Ask Him to come in your heart and be repentant because He knows your thoughts. He knows all of it. This is going to happen. You're going to lose your life in hell if you do not. Do not believe in Jesus Christ and ask Him to come in your heart. You must ask with humbleness. You must kneel to him here or you will kneel to him at the great white throne judgment. And when that happens, you'll answer for every word, every statement you ever made upon this earth, every action you made. Only you say, well, maybe I just lied once. That'll send you to hell. Maybe I just stole once. That'll send you to hell. Maybe I committed adultery just once. That'll send you to hell every sin must be forgiven before you can go into the kingdom of heaven. God said there's only one sin that will keep you out of heaven. That's the sin of unbelief. Not believing in the finished works of the Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. God will forgive you for every lie you ever told, every murder you ever committed, everything you ever done that was against God. He will forgive you for every sin, but He will not forgive you for not believing in the death, burial, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He will not forgive you for not calling upon the name of the Lord. You must call upon the name of the Lord to be saved. At the great right throne judgment, the peoples whose names were found written in the books, B-O-O-K-S, the fearful, the unbelieving, the unbelieving, The not believing in the death, burial, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not believing that Jesus is a Christ, the Son of God. And not calling upon Him to be your Lord and Savior. Every unbeliever will be cast into the lake of fire. And it went on to say the abominable, the murderers, the whoremongers, the sorcerers, that's dope people. Dope addicts, dope sellers, dope takers, idolaters, and all liars. Isn't it awful? to go to hell for telling one lie. Just one. Why? Because you would not ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. That one sin will send you to a lake of fire. Not believing in the finished works on Calvary's cross of the Lord Jesus Christ as we close. Don't let your life fade away to hell in the lake of fire. This simple prayer will give you eternal life. Every sin you ever committed will be forgiven. Jesus promised. And this very words, Dear God, your prayer, pray it in your own words. Dear God, I'm a sinner. I believe in the death, burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm willing to repent. Turn from my way of life and turn unto you, Jesus. Jesus, come into my heart. I'm willing to repent. I believe you will save me today, Jesus, by your words. I accept you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior. You know, when you ask Jesus to come in your heart, he said to you in John six thirty-seven, 37, Jesus' own words speaks out to you. Him that cometh to me, I will no wise cast out. Do it today. Save your life.
2: Morning, she turned 82, and death lingers near. In room 23, down the hall, it's been her home for years. But death ain't no big bridge to cross, just the gateway to her home. With her final breath, she whispers, Glory Land, hold on. Glory Land, hold on. You've got a traveler coming home. i am waiting for so long. home where all folks go. Walls are jasper, the streets are gold. Loved ones wait upon his shore. off to sleep when he wakes up the sidewalk will be gold and he'll be standing on new feet Love nope. one's way upon its shore. Glory land, hold on a little more. Glory land, hold on a little more. Cause there really is a home where all folks go.
3: Every day they pass me by. I can see it in their eyes. Empty people, filled with care, headed who knows where. On they go through private pain, living fear to fear. Laughter hides the silent cries Only Jesus hears People need the Lord People need the Lord People need the Lord At the end of broken dreams He's the open door People need the Lord People need the Lord People need the Lord When, when, when will we realize People need the Lord
4: See Through his love all hearts can feel All the grief they bear They must hear the words of life Only we can share the open door.
5: try the world, and I did, and being hard-headed, I followed my so-called friends, and I got myself in so much trouble, and my soul was in such misery, and I began reading Matthew the 13th chapter, the 21st and 22nd verse, and that's when I fell on my knees and confessed. I said, Father, days have come and gone. Now my soul my soul is in misery. And right now Lord I'm willing to confess all of my sins to thee. I began to read Romans 10 9 and I told God to take me back and try me one more time. And he answered my prayer. Now, if you are one, that your parents have taught you about Christ. But when you grew up, you got a little bit beside yourself and went back into the world. But mothers and fathers, you don't have a thing to worry about because Jesus said, train the child the way it should go. And when it is old, it will not depart. Then say one stray, you know, we'll all have made mistakes. But when that child come to a cross, In life, they'll remember everything you told them. They'll say, "Father, I confess all of my sins to Thee." Then merciful God will open up His loving arms. He'll take that child back. God knows He'll try them one more time. I hear that child saying to God right now:
2: "Father,
5: I am weak. I'm weak." I obeyed my past and somehow or another I got caught up in a big mess And I'm ashamed of myself Father, Father, my little soul is in such misery And right now, Lord, I'm willing to confess All of my sins to Thee Merciful Father, in the name of Jesus Take your child back, take it back, Lord and try me one, one more, more time. time. And that child kept on saying, "In the name of Jesus, in the to name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus." Try me, me Lord, one, one more, time. more time. And God show after that child's prayer.
6: First John two. My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him but whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. Again a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past, and the true light now shineth. He that saith he is in the light, and hateth his brother, is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes." I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the Father. I have written unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong. And the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. Love not the world, neither of the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof but he that doeth the will of God abideth for ever. Little children, it is the last time, and as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us but ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist, that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father, but he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Let that therefore abide in you, which ye have heard from the beginning. If that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you, But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you. But as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence, and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If ye know that he is righteous— Ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him.
0: And he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there as ever known. He speaks and the sound of His voice is so sweet the birds hush their singing and the melody that he gave to me within my heart is ringing and he walks i
7: and you want to follow with me for just a moment for those of you that have your Bibles. Turn with me to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 21. If you've got a little dust on your Bible, that's in the Old Testament.
8: <laughs>
7: Jeremiah, chapter 21, verse 8. And the Bible says this, And unto this people thou shalt say, Thus saith the Lord, Behold... I set before you the way of life and the way of death, the way of life and the way of death. In the 18 plus years that I've been in law enforcement, I've had the occasion to work with all walks of life, from our past President Reagan to the Governor of Virginia, right on down to the man that's lying in the gutter, rich, poor, black and white. And yet I found one thing to be in common with all those individuals, and with you and I here tonight, and it's found in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. The Bible says it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. Every Christian needs to know, and every lost person needs to understand, that death is a reality, just like life is. And eventually you're going to have to come to terms with it, and come to grips with it. And when you start thinking about death, one of two things will take place in your heart. Either you'll have an utter and complete fear concerning death, or you'll have an utter and complete peace concerning death, one or the other. You say, buddy, can you really have peace about death? Yes, you can. My Bible teaches me that Jesus said I'll take the sting out of death for my people. The psalmist David said, And we we need to understand this very, very emphatically tonight. The psalmist David said in 1 Samuel chapter 20 and verse 3, he says, there is but one step between me and death. Irregardless of your age here tonight, you're one heartbeat, one step away from eternity. The Bureau of Vital Statistics tells us that for every hour that goes by, the hour that we spend here tonight, over 5,400 people will die every single hour and yet we always think it's going to happen to someone else we say i'm only 35 i'm only 65 i've got plenty of time nowhere in god's word do i read that death is any respecter of age it can come at any time any one of us james 4:14 says our life is but a vapor it's just here for a short time and then it vanisheth away that should tell us all something that should make us get on our knees and realize that the most important aspect of our life is not the fact that we're a trooper, not the fact that we're a deputy, not the fact that we're a town officer, not the fact that we're a professional, not the fact that you're digging ditches. The most important aspect of life is our relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. That's what will we'll carry you in the end. And one day we'll have to stand and give an account of the life that we live. And here it is, election time, rolling around. Many people are are just very, have an apathetic attitude about it. I believe with all my heart it's time for Christian people to stand up with a backbone like a saw log and say, Lord, this is what we're going to do. We're tired of America being second-rate. We're tired of Christian people being pushed to the side. The minority, in fact, 14% of the American population voted and chose the last president that we had. 14% of our country, that's a minority. I think it's time for the majority. You say, but we're not the majority. (laughs) Folks, let me tell you something. My Bible teaches me that with God, I am the majority. One man, one woman standing for Jesus Christ can make a difference in our lives. But you ask yourself here this morning, if your heart was required, if today was the last day, if you're one step away from eternity, are we really ready to meet Jesus Christ? They tell us, the Bureau of Vital Statistics also tells us that the average lifespan for a man is 71 and a half years of age. And the average lifespan for a woman is 76 years of age. Now, I have no idea why the women are out living the men, just not working them hard enough or something. I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding, ladies. But regardless of whether we're 71 years old or 76 years old, the fact of the matter is this. Do you realize with the exception of Jesus Christ coming back for his people that one day you're going to have to stand and give an account of the life that you live? And as you sit and breathe here tonight, do you realize that your soul will never die? It will live forever in eternity, either in heaven or in hell. You say, wait a minute, buddy, that's kind of old-fashioned. That's what we need in America again. Too many people want to sugarcoat it and and pat it on the back and say, well, now we don't mind talking about heaven, but let's not talk about hell. Let's not talk about the bad things. Well, folks, if you know anything about the Bible at all, you know how many times hell is spoken of in contrast to heaven for obvious reasons. God wants us to be sure of the path that we're on. He said straight and narrow is that path, not wide and broad, not liberal, straight and narrow. And we need to understand that here tonight, that we are going to give an account. And I think all of us need to take an inventory of our own personal lives, myself included, and simply ask ourselves the question, if God would come tonight, are we ready to meet Jesus? Because folks, we live in a world nowadays where there's nothing wrong anymore. There's no sin anymore. There's no black and white anymore. We just group it together and when we go gray ball and simply say, well, that's just the way things are. We've allowed things to come into our churches into our communities, into our school system, into our homes that ten years ago we would have risen up and spoken out about, we now accept. You say, well buddy, you've got to get with the times. No, what we need is to get with the Bible. For the Bible says, I've the same God yesterday, today, and forever, and He changes not. If God doesn't change, then sin ten years ago is still sin today. All Satan's done is sugar-coated it, put a new label on it, and passed it off as a counterfeit. And many times we've accepted it. I believe that as Christian people, the reason our prayers aren't getting through the ceiling many times is because we've compromised on God's eternal holy word. We've allowed these things to come into our homes and other places, and we haven't spoken out about them. What we need is people will, that will stand and not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. You say, well, that's that's easy to do. No, it's not easy. Let me tell you something. You'll be ridiculed by your own peers. You'll be ridiculed by your community when you honestly stand up for what is right. Sometimes, you know, it's easy to go downstream. Anybody can go with the stream. Anybody can go with the flow. But it takes a real man and a real woman to stand up and say, Lord, if I lose home, if I lose family, if I lose job, if I lose friend, if I lose every dollar I have, I'm going to stand for you. You know why? Because there was a day that Christ stood for you. And he stood for me. And we should be willing to do the very same thing in these last days. And I believe truly that we're living in the last days. We're not going to get into the prophecy, but sometimes if we had time, we'd go over into Revelation and just see what's, what's taking place in these last days. God is still sitting on the throne, and I want to encourage that to you here tonight. We're not going down the tubes. We're going up. In of to what Washington, D.C. says, Buddy Ferris is on his way to glory irregardless of the circumstances of life. And sometimes we get tied up in the circumstances. Sometimes we want to look at the circumstances of life and say, well, it's just hopeless. It's not hopeless. Not as long as we have a God that's able to simply speak the word and with his nostrils touch and heal folks. But we live in a world nowadays truly, truly where nobody wants to call sin, sin anymore. They once asked Abraham Lincoln, there was a little sheep standing off in the meadow, and Abraham Lincoln asked the group of men that was standing there, he said, suppose we call the tail of that sheep a leg, how many legs would that sheep have? Some wise gentleman raised his hand, he said, well, that's easy, Mr. Lincoln, we'd have five legs. He said, no, sir. Simply calling it a leg didn't make it a leg. Simply whitewashing and saying this is not sin doesn't keep it from being sin, folks. It's still wrong. And if you ever want to have real victory over life and real victory over death, to lay your head down at night and not be afraid of death, then you need to sell out to Jesus Christ totally and watch what happens. I remember when the Iraq-Iran war was going on. Good Christian folks were coming to church and they were folding their arms and they'd say, You know, I can never be like Saddam Hussein. I mean, he's vile and wicked and ugly. He's killed thousands of innocent men, women, and children. And we get kind of smug in our attitude and say, Boy, I can never do that. And that's true. He has killed thousands of innocent men, women, and children. And then we think about people like Adolf Hitler, who in his lifetime caused the death of six million people. And we say to ourselves as Christian people, I can never do that. You listen very carefully. And yet, in the United States of America, that's supposed to be one nation under God. Not six million, but 26 million young boys and girls were killed through abortion. And we point fingers. You say, well, buddy, I disagree with you. I'm a woman. And I have a right to do with my body what I want to. I beg your ever-loving pardon. My Bible teaches me that you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. God said I knew you when you were in the womb you're fearfully and wonderfully made And folks you can, you can get upset at me when I leave here that's okay I didn't come here tonight to make friends I came because of Christ and what he's done in my life but you think about the young girls and boys that have been killed through abortion sometimes pulled from the mother's womb armless legless crying at the top of their lungs only to be thrown into a little basket stacked up like cordwood and then thrown into the incinerator and we in America say that's okay that's not okay that's an abomination in the nostrils of almighty God you call it what you want to God says it is murder outright and we're going to have to give an account one day of the stand that we take on that too many people don't want to address the issues that really count God will address it one day and you will address it one day I'd rather do it here and take my stand than have to stand before Christ one day and hear him to say, depart from me. I never knew you. You were not faithful to me. You did not stand for what was right. Well, we're killing the 26 million a year. Then we're taking those that are living in the first, second, and third grade in the state of Illinois, in the state of California, one other state that I can't remember right off, soon coming to the state of Virginia a book entitled Daddy's Best Friend that will be teaching our first, second, and third graders that homosexuality is an alternative lifestyle. Now, let me just say something before you get the wrong impression about Buddy. If you've ever known someone that had an abortion, if you've ever had an abortion, if you know someone that's a homosexual, I want you to know that God loves them just as much as he loves me. But very emphatically, God does not love sin, in any form, irregardless regardless of what it is. We're destroying 26 million of the unborn, and we're taking those that are living at an age when their minds are so susceptible, and destroying their minds with garbage like that. I had a fellow come up to me after a service down in Atlanta, Georgia. I can tell he was. Uh, I can tell when I step on folks' toes. You can just see them <laughs> fold their arms and get that look, you know. He was sitting off to my left as I was speaking, and the more I talked, the more the arms tightened. He was the first one to meet me after the service when I went back to the back, and he came up to me, and he said, I disagree with you about homosexuality. He said, there's nothing wrong with it. I said, okay. I said, I disagree with you. He said, well, your problem is you just don't have enough education. I said, if you had a little bit more education, he said, you'd understand that. I said, my father, if you've got five minutes, I said, I'll explain something. I said, my father has a fourth-grade education. He started shaking his head. He said, that's what I'm talking about. I said, hold on. My father has a fourth-grade education, and he's the smartest one man I truly have ever met in my life. He can build a a house from the ground up, put a car together from every nut and bolt, work more calculus and math than I ever thought about, fourth-grade education. I said, but I'll never forget what my father told me the day I went off to college. We were very, very poor, and, and the only way I was able to go to school, God blessed me with a little bit of running ability and athletic ability at one point in my life, years ago. And so I was able to go on an athletic scholarship, but I'll never forget, as I walked down the driveway, my dad looked at me and he said, son, you go ahead and get your education. but I said, education will not give you what you need on the inside. Only God can do that. Now, my dad has a unique way of putting things, very simple yet very profound. He knows, and there's a gentleman sitting here, I won't mention Dean Webster's name, but there's a man sitting here that just constantly makes fun of how I eat. I mean, he says, you ought to weigh 300 pounds the way you eat. When I was growing up, and still to this day, one of my favorite foods is watermelon. In the summertime, I can literally eat a watermelon a day <laughs> if I can get my hands on it. Love watermelon. I'll never forget what my dad told me. He said, son, you go ahead and get your education. said, it won't change you, though. He said, you know, you can take a truck over here loaded with watermelon and a thief, and that thief will steal watermelon off that truck. You can educate the thief, and he'll steal the watermelon and the truck. (laughs) (laughs) But education didn't change him on the inside. Only Christ can do that. We're destroying our young people. And this gentleman said, "I, I don't understand. I said, well, let me tell you something. I said, if you can find anywhere in the Bible, I said, you do believe in the Bible? Oh, yes. I said, well, if you can find in the Bible, and we'll end this conversation, where God created Adam and Fred, or Louise and Eve, we'll end the conversation. He stomped off. I don't know what he thought about me after that. But folks, we need to understand that if we're ever to have real peace and real victory and real joy and real power, when we get on our knees to pray, there's going to have to come a time in your life and in my life when we stand and look at God's holy word and we listen to God's word more than we listen to Washington's words. We listen to God's word more than we listen to the council's word. We listen to God's word first and foremost. God will take care of the rest if we'll do that. 26 million that we're killing, we're destroying those that are living with such garbage. Now, they've tried to pass a bill for the last two years that says if you're over the age of 65 and you have children that are living and they deem that you are unable to make a decision for yourself, they've entitled this bill Death with Dignity. That your children would have the right to have you put to death if they feel that you're unable to make a decision for yourself past the age of 60. Now, it's failed twice. But don't you get the picture of what's happening in America The Bible says, so it was in the days of Noah. So it was in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, so shall it be. Take a look around at what's going on. Very silently, very susceptible to coming in. And that's how Satan works. He doesn't walk up to you and hit you over the head and try to get... He slips in little by little, and our moral values and our integrity drops just a little lower every time we give in to Satan's will instead of God's. Where will you stand with Jesus should he come tonight? Are you ready to meet Jesus? Have you really taken a stand for him? I hope you have. You'll never be happy until you have given God totally, 100% of your life. I don't mean 60, I don't even mean 90. There came a time in my life that I crawled up under a big old oak tree, stepped out of that blue and gray car in uniform, walked up under the tree, and it was raining. And I said, God, if I lose family, home, job, friends, whatever, I'm going to quit compromising. I'm going to stand as long as you give me breath to stand. And folks, you talk about real strength. To lay your head down at night and honestly not fear death. You say, now buddy, wait a minute. You mean to tell me if a man pulls a knife on you or a gun on you, you're not going to get scared? (laughs) I'm probably going to get more scared than you are. That's just a natural reaction that God put in all of us. I know what it feels like to have knives pulled. I know what it feels like to have a gun put to your head and be told you had five seconds to live. It's frightening. I was working undercover one particular night and sitting around a card table. This gentleman walked up, walked around behind me, put a gun to my head and he said, I know you're the man, talking about being a policeman, he said, I know you're the man, you've got five seconds to live. Now folks, you can throw machoism out the window because it don't work. I got scared. Tears came to my eyes. I thought about my family that I'd never hold again. I realized this moment the moment he pulled that trigger, my brain was going to be scattered up on the wall. Lots of things I've thought about, and I was scared. But here's one thing that came to my old feeble mind that just brought total reassurance and a calmness to my, my whole body. There was one verse in the Bible that says, to be absent from the body, just to be present with the lord and without realizing that i said that out loud and i got happy you say wait a minute buddy you had a gun to your head i got happy because i realized years before i had given my life to christ and everything was okay even if he pulled the trigger i was just going to step over into glory The old boy looked at me, and as I said that out loud, and he said, you're crazy. He said, you couldn't be the man. Put the gun back in his pocket. And we later arrested him. But folks, the whole point of that is to tell you this. As a child of God, you don't need to fear life, nor do we need to fear death, for God has taken care of that. If you ever want to have real victory and real peace, you sell out to Him, and watch what happens. Once you do that, you'll be able to stand on one of the greatest promises that I've ever read in God's Word. This particular promise changed my Christian life, changed it. You say, buddy, what's that one promise that will change my life? Before I tell you that promise, I think we need to ask ourselves one question. Why are we even here? Why did God even make us? What's our whole purpose in life? For every question you ever have, God has the answer. Now, God didn't promise He would give us all the answers to all the questions, but He promised each one of us individually that He would give us what we need on a daily basis to make it in this life. You say, "Well, buddy, why were we why were we created?" In Colossians chapter one and verse sixteen, the Bible says, "All things were created by Him and for Him." Isaiah forty three seven says, "We were created." for God's glory. That's why you're here. God created you so that you might give him honor and glory out of your life. You say, okay, I understand that. You hold on to that for you're going to need it in just a moment. I understand why I was created, buddy. Now tell me that one promise that will change my Christian life. And folks, if you remember nothing else this old country boy tells you, I want you to remember this one verse. It's found in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. It says, for we know we don't have to guess we know that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord who are called according to his purpose you say now wait a minute buddy you don't expect me to believe that all things folks if he have meant some things he'd have said some things will work together for those that love me but he gave us an eternal promise from the throne of almighty God he said buddy I promise you that if you love me all things will work together let me give you one more to chew on. He says in First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18, In all things, give thanks. He's saying, now wait a minute. First you tell me that all things work together. Now you tell me in all things, give thanks. But do you mean to tell me if I pull out of this parking lot, somebody comes down the road and takes the front end of my new Cadillac off, I'm supposed to jump out and say, Lord, I really appreciate you letting me wreck my car. <laughs> That's not what he said, did he? He didn't say, for all things give thanks. He said, in all things give thanks. You say, what's the difference, buddy? Here's the key. Now, you cannot claim Romans 8:28 if you're lost without Christ. But if you're a child of God, listen very carefully. Do you realize that Satan cannot do anything to you unless God gives him permission? You say, I've never heard that. Well, then you need to go back and read the book of, Ro- uh, of Job. You say, buddy, if that's true, if nothing can take place in my life unless God allows it, answer me one question. Why do bad things happen to God's people? Why do we go through such trials and troubles sometimes? That's a good question. One that needs an answer. Now, how many times have you heard somebody in your church bow their head and they say, Dear Lord, please give me more faith. Man, that's a great prayer, isn't it? Dear Lord, please give me more faith. Buddy, is that you? Yes, Lord, I want more faith. Now, let me ask you something. How much faith does it take on your part? Use a little common sense now. How much faith does it take on your part when you're on the mountaintop? When everything's going well? When your job's going well? you got plenty of money? The kids are behaving? Mother-in-law hasn't been to see you in a while? (laughs) Anybody can be happy on the mountaintop takes no faith up there how's everything with you buddy going great I'm right up here on the mountaintop nope no doesn't take any faith up there you know you know when it requires the most faith on my part it's when those valleys come it's when those trials come into my life and here we pray dear Lord please give me more faith buddy is that you yes Lord I want more faith now buddy you realize you don't grow in faith on the mountaintop but buddy it takes real faith when that trial comes your way so, buddy, I've heard your prayer, and I'm going to allow a trial to come your way. God will allow a trial to come into a Christian's life for one of two main reasons. Number one, we've already told you, God said, I created you for my glory. God will allow a trial to come into a Christian's life so that he might get honor and glory out of that trial. And number two, God will allow trials to come into a Christian's life so that that Christian might grow in faith or someone around him might. And yet we say, Dear Lord, please give me more faith. And the trial hits us upside the head. What do nine out of ten Christians do when faced with a trial? We shove our hands in our pocket and say, Lord, I don't understand why this had to happen to me. Lord, gripe and ground, curse God. I've seen it happen. And I can imagine God sitting up there and going, wait a minute. You did ask for more faith, didn't you? Well, yeah, Lord, I did, but I didn't want to have to go through it this way. Look what happens. Do you realize you're the only Bible some people will ever read? And they're looking at your life and you're wearing that big label of Christian. And they see you go through a trial that maybe they've been through. And they see you gripe and complain and curse God. And they say, you know, they did the same thing I did. They don't have any more than I've got. No wonder people don't want to come to church anymore. They're afraid they're gonna end up looking like some of us sometimes. All soured up, pruned up, look like we've been baptized in persimmon juice or something folks, Christian people ought to be the happiest people that ever walked. We have the best life now and the best life to come. And that lost person that's looking at you and you go through that trial and they see you crumble and fall just like they would, you know what just happened? Number one, God didn't get any honor and glory out of that. And number two, your faith didn't grow the least bit. Now watch what happens when you stand on Romans eight, twenty-eight. And the doctor comes to you and says, I'm sorry. But you've got cancer or your boss comes to you and says i'm sorry but i'm gonna have to lay you off or the bills keep piling up in the house or that loved one is at the funeral home and you say lord i don't understand why i have to go through this lord i don't understand this trial but lord i love you and you love me and god you gave me a promise that all things would work together so lord thank you for this trial i don't understand it that's where my faith comes in and you know what the bible says about faith god said without faith without faith it's impossible to please god you want more faith you're going to have to be willing to stand on his promises now look what happens when that lost person is looking at you and you go through that tremendous trial and they say, buddy, uh, you're just going through a really bad time here, but you're still talking about the Lord. You've still got a smile on your face. You're still steadfast, unmovable. And they leave and they say, wait a minute. He must have something that I don't have. You know what just happened? God just got honor and glory out of that. You know what else just happened? It took a lot of faith on my part. When all the walls were crumbling down, when the circumstances looked bleak to stand upon God's word and say, God, things don't look good but I love you, and you love me, and I know that everything's gonna be all right. That's when your faith can grow. Years ago, there was a man by the name of Dr. Henry. He was a missionary to China. They were out in the ocean on the ship, and they got in a big storm, and they were shipwrecked on this one particular island. True story. This particular island at the time was known the world over for being inhabited by cannibalistic people, man-eating, flesh-eating people. No sooner had Dr. Henry and his men arrived upon that sandy shore, and they were surrounded by this cannibalistic tribe. The chief stepped forward. Dr. Henry stepped forward. The chief began to tell Dr. Henry that he and all of his men would be killed and then eaten. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a pretty good trial. Dr. Henry could have turned to his men and said, run, but he didn't. He could have turned to his men and said, fight, but he didn't. Dr. Henry turned to his men and he said have faith have faith in God he turned back around to the chief and he said chief I tell you what I'm going to do I'm going to give you a sample of what we taste like and he reached in his pocket pulled out a pocket knife reached down and cut a big hunk off the calf of his leg handed it to the chief the old chief bit down into it no sooner had he bitten down into it he spit it out me no want you you're free to go. Dr. Henry look, looked at each other in amazement. Nobody had ever survived this island. They repaired their ship, got back on board, sailed on in toward China. On the way to China, they said, Dr. Henry, we don't understand. How did we escape? Ironically, Dr. Henry quoted Romans eight, twenty-eight. They said, but Dr. Henry, we still don't understand. He said, "We well, see, fellas, several years ago, I went through a tremendous trial just like many of you sitting here tonight are going through. And you don't understand that trial, but God does. And God simply says two words, trust me. Trust me, I cannot lie. And when I give you a promise, that's exactly what I mean. He said, I went through a tremendous trial, folks, and he said, I was involved in an accident. And he said, because of that accident, they had to amputate my left leg and they replaced it with a cork leg and I gave a chief an old piece of cork. Now, no doubt, when Dr. Henry was lying there on that emergency room table and the doctor came up to him and said, we're going to have to amputate your leg, he must have thought just like you and I think, Lord, what good can ever come out of this trial? Lord, what good can ever come out of me losing a leg? You're sitting here tonight and you're saying, Lord, what good can ever come out of this trial that I'm going through? God says, trust me. Because of that, Dr. Henry was the only person that was allowed on that island for many, many years thereafter. And because of that, many souls were saved. You see, all things work together for good to those who love the Lord. There's a verse in the Bible that I think sums up Paul's life, and and Paul is one of the, I guess I love reading about him because of the trials that he went through. But Paul had been talked about, and you know, that's another issue. We can talk about drinking alcohol and touch a few folks, you can talk about cigarette smoke and touch a few smokes, smokes, folks. You can talk about long tonguing and talk and talk about everybody, though, right? You can touch everybody. I had to preach a sermon on that one of these days. But Paul had been talked about. He had been ridiculed. He had been beaten, shipwrecked, thrown into jail. And I want you to listen to what Paul said. And here he was in jail. And yet he writes this. He says in in chapter 5 and verse 3, he says, We glory in tribulations. Now, folks, I want to ask you something. When is the last time you gloried in a tribulation? But Paul knew the secret. He said, We glory in tribulations knowing that tribulations worketh patience, patience experience, experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed. For the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. You see, Paul learned that whatsoever state he was in, therewith to be content. Why? Because he knew that all things work together for good to those that love him. Now, let me just add this. You cannot deliberately go out in sin and expect God to bless your life. The wages of sin is death. There's a price to pay when you sin you can't eat 25 candy bars at one time and then say God please help my stomach not to hurt it doesn't work that way we have an advocate with the Father and what a lot of people don't realize is that when when Jesus forgives us of our sins he says I'll take your sin and separate as far as the east is from the west and I will remember it no more you know who remembers your sins and brings them up in your mind and tries to get you downtrodden and depressed it's got to be Satan. Because Jesus says we don't even remember him anymore. You've been forgiven washed in the blood. We need to keep your head up and keep going. For all have sinned and come short. But we also have an advocate with the Father who loves you more than any mother or father ever could and is willing to forgive you. And that should be a blessing to all of us. Where do you stand with Jesus here tonight? 1 John chapter 5, and verse 4 says, Whatsoever is born of God, Overcometh the world, even our faith. Faith. Hebrews chapter 11, I believe it is, the faith chapter, speaks about by faith Noah, by faith Enoch, by faith Abraham, by faith the walls of Jericho fell, by faith the woman was healed when she touched his garment. Folks, it was not by works. It was by faith. And how do you get faith? Not on the mountaintops. It takes real faith when the valleys come. It takes real faith when you look at those bills and you say, Lord, I've got $1 and I owe 10 It takes real faith when you go to that nursing home or that funeral home or that hospital to say, God, I believe that you can still touch and you can still heal. Paul prayed three times. Please take this thorn in the flesh. Please take it away. Please take it away. What God say? No, because through that weakness, I'm going to show you my strength sometimes through trials sometimes through infirmities God is able to show his strength and get honor and glory out of that that doesn't mean that God can't heal that doesn't mean that God won't heal for he said if we had the faith of a grain of a mustard seed that's pretty small that we can say unto that mountain be thou removed and cast into the sea and it shall not it might it shall be done he's talking about literal mountains I believe he's talking about problems more so than the mountains that if we'll just bring our problems to Him, cast all of our cares upon Him, He's a big God. He can take care of them. He says, I know when the sparrow falls from the tree, how much more I want to take care of you and your problems and your needs. Folks, if you've been going through a tough time, I challenge you to take seven days, the first just one week, stand on Romans 8, 28, no matter what comes your way, and watch what happens in your Christian life you ever noticed somebody that had all the faith in the world no matter what happened? Folks, it's not because they haven't been through trials. It's because they have been through trials. And each time they stood upon God's Word and they grew and they grew and they grew. That's why it takes faith. I know that all things work together for good to those that love Him. In 1979, I was stationed in Richmond. I've been out of State Police Academy about a year. Station on the interstate 95 this is a real special time of year for me Thanksgiving this particular night in 1979 was Thanksgiving Eve I was not scheduled to work and my favorite sergeant called and asked if I would come to work because one of the guys was out sick so I came to work with the attitude of I really didn't want to work I just put in the time knowing the next day I was going back to my home in southwest Virginia and See my parents, my wife, and I. I'd be getting home around 12 o'clock and had plenty of time to sleep, so my mind was elsewhere. I was sitting there on the shoulder of the road working radar, and back then the speed limit was 55 miles an hour. Cars were coming through at 60, 65, 70, 75, 80. Still, I sit there, your tax dollars at work. You say, buddy, what in the world were you doing? Well, I was reading a book that night car came through shortly before 10 o'clock p.m. at 82 miles an hour. I thought, well, maybe the Lord's trying to tell me something in them too. So I pulled out after the car, laid my book I was reading in the seat next to me, fully expecting to come back in just a few moments and pick up where I'd left off. Pulled out after the car about 15 miles north of Richmond, about three miles south of Kings Dominion, northbound on Interstate 95 got behind the vehicle turned the lights on the car pulled over on the shoulder I pulled in behind it got out of my vehicle and started walking up to the car I remember touching the trunk of the car to make sure it was locked then getting to the rear door and I saw the man turn the light on inside the dome light I saw the man reaching for his wallet that's all that I can personally tell you what I want to tell you now is what rescue squad members Richmond paramedics troopers doctors and other personnel have since told me. My son always tells me when I get ready to go someplace to speak, he says, Daddy, try to be a big boy and don't cry.
8: <laughs>
7: <laughs> but when I get to thinking about what Christ has done for me in my life, there are times that I can't help but shed tears of joy. Folks, He is my everything. Everything. My all in all. All that I'll ever be is because of Jesus Christ in my life. There was also another man that was northbound that night. He'd been smoking marijuana. He'd been drinking. The more he drank, the more he drove. The more he drove, the more he smoked, the more confused he became. As he approached the scene where my car was sitting on the shoulder and the car that I'd stopped was sitting on the shoulder by his own testimony he said he thought he was in the wrong lane so he decided to get into that lane of travel which was actually the shoulder by his own testimony he said he was going 65 miles an hour he was driving a Chrysler car with a Chrysler hood emblem on the front at 65 miles an hour Chrysler hood emblem embedded dead center in the center of my back and I began to go underneath the car then he struck the other car. I was smashed between the two of them. Don't you ever tell me that God's dead. I just talked to him a while ago. God's still alive, folks. He still wants to answer prayer and give you victory where you've had defeat for so long. 65 miles an hour head on, and as a car hit and struck the other car, and between the two it knocked me up in the air I came back down landed on top of the car and then rolled off on the hood and then rolled off on the interstate from the waist down I was lying on the emergency shoulder of the road and from the waist up on the right hand travel lane sort of crisscrossing both there were two tractor trailers fully loaded 80,000 pounds slowly approaching the scene that night first driver got to the scene and realized. It, told the trooper he said he realized that there was something in the road and he tried to turn and he said, I just barely missed him. Just as he cleared the other trailer that was behind him, they were pretty close as is common nature and as the first one cleared out of the way, the second driver told the trooper. He said, I was already on him. He said, I knew there was no way that I could turn 80,000 pounds at 60 miles an hour at a 45 degree angle without jackknifing. And he said, I threw my hands up to my face cried, Oh my God. They found the same truck driver just a few moments later on the side of the road by his tractor trailer. He was on his knees. And as the trooper walked up to him, he heard him say over and over again, tears rolling down his cheek, Have mercy upon me, Lord a sinner. Have mercy upon me, Lord a sinner. He turned to the trooper and he said, Trooper, you'll never believe what happened. He said, I was already on him. And he said, I threw my hands up to my face. And he said, all of a sudden, the wheel on an 80,000 pound tractor trailer suddenly turned to the left and back to the right. Tears ran down his cheek. And he said, Trooper, I never touched the wheel. Now, folks, you laugh all you want to. But I'm telling you, I serve a living, real, mighty God. He is still able. You'll never convince me, I don't care how many PhDs you may have, you'll never convince me, but what God or one of His angels just reached down and took that 80,000 pounds. The Bible teaches us that we have angels watching out over us. One of these days I'm going to find out, I like to imagine, when I was lying there on that interstate, I like to imagine my two angels commenced arguing with each other. I helped him last time, it's your turn. Then I like to imagine Michael, the archangel, looking down seeing what was about to happen, saying, boys, I believe this is going to be a big, and I believe I'll take it, guiding her right around. Now, I don't know who touched the steering wheel, folks, but I know who gave the command. That's my child. I'm not finished with him yet. You're sitting here tonight because God is not finished with your life yet. He has a purpose and a reason. If you want to find out that purpose and reason, then you've got to give Him your life totally. You've got to put Him first. He won't take second. You know what the Bible says? It says if you put Him first, He said, I will add all these things unto you. If you put Him first. Too many people want to do it just the opposite. They want all these things. And then they'll serve Jesus. Serve Jesus and watch what happens in your life. He'll put homes back together. You'll throw the bottle away. You'll throw the cigarette away. You'll do things that that God wants you to do. You'll stand up and have a backbone like a saw log that God meant for you to have and quit being a wimp in Christ. God wants warriors. You know what a warrior is in Christ? They put on the whole armor. A warrior did. He He didn't just put on the breastplate and then go out to war. He didn't just put on the helmet and then go out. A real warrior put on the whole armor. That's what we need to do. We need to get armored up because Satan is seeking whom he may devour. And he's pulling us down little by little. But there's still a few men that had not bowed down no veil yet. There's still a few that love Jesus Christ and will understand. And God says, I'll lift up a remnant in the last days. And I'll lift up a standard against those that come against my people. Sometimes in our department, we get in discussions or arguments or whatever you may call them. I tell the guys, I said, look now, you go to arguing with me, you're not just arguing with me. you got to deal with Jesus too. They haven't bought that yet, but so far we're working on it. But folks, where do you really stand with Christ? I lay there on the interstate for some short period of time. Finally got up, walked around, and got into the back seat of the car that I had stopped, that the man had hit Now, I was later told, and there was a man and woman in the car that I'd stopped, and it was later told to me, and I've often wondered about this, apparently I was bleeding pretty badly about the face and the arms, and as I crawled into the back seat, the lady in the car started screaming, get out of my car, you're bleeding all over my carpet. She was really concerned about me, wasn't she? But apparently I understood. Got out of the car, walked about 25 steps up the shore of the road, as best they can Calculate where I collapsed. The rescue squad arrived. They began to try to get a pulse and a heartbeat. Shortly thereafter, the Richmond paramedics arrived. They began to do CPR. They began to use the shock shock trauma paddles. And at 23 minutes after 10 on Thanksgiving Eve of 1979, They covered me up the sheet and pronounced me dead at the scene. Folks, it should be obvious to you, my wife hates me when I say this, it should be obvious to you, I ain't dead. (laughs) My wife teaches English at Pence Middle School and that's the only way I know to put it. I don't understand all the things that went on that night. I don't understand why they weren't able to get a pulse. I don't understand why the shock trauma paddles and the CPR didn't work. But I know the God that created me and the God that created you is still able to take care of that which he's created. They continued to work the accident. They were in no hurry, left me covered up. Finally finished the accident, put me into the rescue squad vehicle and transported me to the Richmond morgue. I'd been to the morgue many times myself because of accident cases and fatalities. So I was very familiar with the morgue. As I went down the hallway, I could see through the sheet, the fluorescent lights in the hallway. And just as they rounded the corner to put me into the cold storage area, I began to pull the sheet off where the blood had dried and it was kind of hard to get off. I finally got it down to my neck, not knowing what had happened. The last thing I remember, I was walking up to the car. I looked over to my left, and one of the troopers I'd worked with, great big fella, felt like a little Willie here, great big fella, holding on to the railing, tears rolling down his cheeks. I had no idea what had happened, so I asked a logical question. I said, Sonny, what happened? Well, the first thing that happened was Sonny's mouth fell about three foot. First 15 or so words out of his mouth was, uh, uh, Finally, he said the only thing he could think of, I suppose. He said, Bud, you're you're supposed to be dead. (laughs) Which was not a real comforting thought at the time. (laughs) Apparently, they turned around and took me to the hospital where I spent some time recovering. Lying there on the mercy room table, I heard the doctor tell my wife, Your husband may never walk again. I thought about all the times in high school and college when God had allowed me to run. And I didn't have a whole lot of natural ability, so I had to sneak out of the house at midnight and try to get in a few extra laps and miles. And, but I enjoyed it. It was my time with Christ. And I remember the most important, or so I thought, the event in my running career was when I missed the Olympic trials by three-tenths of a second. I thought, you know, for a little country, boy, I was so happy with that. And then here the doctor was telling me that I'd never, never walk again. I began to think about a lot of things, and one of the things I thought of was my precious mom, who has had arthritis now for some 30 years. Hands crippled, feet crippled, pretty much wheelchair bound. I thought about the time that I came up to my mom after seeing her Sit there in pain for eight hours nonstop, Tears rolling down her cheeks, hurting so badly. I said, Mom, how do you stand that? My precious mama looked up at her son. She said, Son, one day I'm going to run and not be weary. One day I'm going to have a brand new body. And if God can get honor and glory out of me like this, then praise be to God. And I thought lying there on that stretcher, Oh, God, please give me the spirit that my mom has. Please give me the faith that my mom has. That if I never walk again, dear Lord, I'll still stand for you. I'll still trust you, God, no matter what. And then I heard the doctor tell my wife more devastating news. He said, Miss Ferris, your your husband may very well have permanent brain damage. In fact, he may very well be a vegetable. We're not sure. Now, I know what you're thinking, the same thing the guys think about me
8: sometimes.
7: (laughs) My wife does accuse me of it from time to time. But I guess at the age of 41, I'm as healthy as I've ever been in my life, and I thank God for that. For years and years, I felt like a guinea pig. They did test after test. Standing before you here tonight, I can tell you that they have not found one thing, not one thing wrong. Now, yes, I still have a big nose and baggy eyes and losing my hair, but i that comes with the territory. But, folks, God has blessed my life tremendously. I may lose every friend in the Shenandoah Valley. They may kick me out as chief one day. I may lose job. I may lose my family through accident. But don't you ever feel sorry for Buddy Ferris because I'm the richest man that will ever stand before you. For I have Jesus Christ. And when you go so far down in the valleys, that you realize that that's all you have, you finally realize that's all you needed was Jesus in your life. What I've just told you is what they've told me. Now very quickly, I want to tell you, and we'll go close. I want to tell you, first of all, I never did get back to read the book that I was reading in 1979. But I want you to know what book it was. Ten minutes till ten on Thanksgiving Eve of 1979. I held this precious holy word in my hand. And the last verse I remember reading ironically was Romans eight, twenty-eight. You see, there is a reason. There is a God that loves us. And He will so direct your path. In all thy ways acknowledge Him. You see, I don't have enough smarts to be chief. I don't know all the answers to all the questions. But I know someone that does. That's why in all thy ways we need to acknowledge Him. And He shall, not might, He shall direct our way. As I walked up to the car that night, I remember getting to the rear door, and I remember the man reaching for his wallet, and then I heard the squeaking of brakes, before I could get turned around to see what it was, it felt like somebody just shoved me maybe a step, and everything went completely pitch black. The blackest black I'd ever seen, folks. felt like I was in a real deep hole real deep valley just constant blackness all around now what I'm about to tell you has taken me a long time to stand up and tell folks and I'll tell you why because we have a country that's running over with charlatans with people that are trying to use God's word for financial gain one day Buddy Ferris is going to stand and give an account of every word that I've said here tonight but you're not getting off scot-free either. You're going to have to give an account of what you do when you leave here tonight and how you live for Christ. you either either rejecting or accepting. Coming out of this darkness by the thousands, folks, we hands from the wrist out, constantly coming out and grabbing, but never touching. Constantly grabbing, but never touching. You say, buddy, what in the world was that? I went up on my dad's farm back in Marion. As soon as I could get out of the hospital and I was walking with a cane and I hadn't had any private time. There was always someone around me. And I told my parents, I said, I've got to go across the hill. I've got to be alone with my father. I went across the hill and literally fell to my knees and buried my, my face in the dirt. And I said, oh God, you look... You don't understand. People will laugh at me. They'll make fun of me. They'll ridicule me. Buddy, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Then you just be about my Father's business. I'll take care of the people. Most of you know this by heart. It says, The Lord, He is my shepherd. I shall not want He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now listen very carefully. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. I believe with every ounce of intelligence and strength and Holy Spirit that lives within me. At those hands that were reaching out that night were Satan and all of his angels making one last grab for one of God's children. But I've got good news for you. You see, almost 2,000 years ago, God looked down through the annals of time and He saw you and He saw me. I've only got one son. I've got three girls and one boy. Sarah, age 15. Rachel, age 14. Nathan, age, let me back up here a minute. I've got Leah, age 11, Nathan, age 12, Rachel, age 14, and Sarah, age 15. I missed one year there. I think I was in the cold strikes that year or something. I don't, out of town. (laughs) But I love my family more than life itself. But I've only got one boy. I can't imagine bringing my son, Nathan, and standing here before you tonight and letting each one of you get up and walk by my son. And when you get to my son, you spit on him. And then you ball your fist up and you hit him right in the mouth as hard as you can. And he turns and says, Daddy, please help me. And you grab him by the hair of the hair and you pull his hair out as the tears run down his little cheeks. And he says, Daddy, please help me. I can't imagine as a father standing here letting you do that to my son yet God loved me so much that he sent his only begotten son and they beat him until the book of Isaiah says there was not a place on his body that was not bruised for your iniquities and mine every time that cat of nine tails would go into his back it would rip the flesh out parched dehydrated That crown of thorns with thorns on it, three inches long, pushed down into his brow, sticking out through his eyes. The pain that he must have felt. Then on Calvary's cruel cross, they crucified him. They didn't gently drop that cross into the hole, folks. It went in with a thud. And the pain that he must have felt, as tendons were ripped, muscles were torn, And when that soldier stuck that spear into his side, it didn't just barely go in. If you know anything about the anatomy and all, you know that it went into the very heart where the blood and water is stored. And Jesus Christ shed every drop of blood for you and for me so that when we go through the valley of the shadow of death, we don't have to not fear what Satan can do for we've been washed in the blood. But if you lost without Jesus Christ, you'll remember this crazy police officer. When you go through the valley of the shadow of death and those hands reach out and grab you, you'll give anything to sit in this chair on this night and have one more opportunity to give Jesus Christ your life. But for those of us that have been washed in the blood, Satan can make all the grabs he wants, but he'll not be able to get through the precious blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. I was in that blackness for what seemed like two or three minutes and then all of a sudden I was in the brightest white, the most brilliant white I'd ever seen in my entire life. I suppose I had eyes where I was able to see and yet I could look down and it was just as white to look down as it was anywhere else. Now folks, I can tell you at the age of 41 I've had some good times. I've had times in church on my knees when I literally thought I was coming off the ground. I've had times out on the mountaintops all alone with the Lord when I literally thought I could reach up and hold His hand. I was going to a service at a church it's been several months if not years from that, uh, years ago and when I get in the vehicle I, sometimes the Lord and I just have a good time now I don't know how any other way to describe this but I pulled up to a red light and the Lord and I were just having a tremendous time in that car I was just slinging tears and everywhere and I looked over to my left and there was a lady sitting over next to me going
8: <laughs>
7: wondering what in the world was wrong with that fella sitting over there but folks, when you got Christ on the inside, sometimes it's got to come out. Some distance out from me, there was a large door. Coming out of that door by the tens of hundreds of thousands were the most beautiful colors, the most beautiful rainbows i would ever seen in my life. The closer I got to that door, the more I thought I was literally going to burst wide open. Never had such joy. Never had such peace and happiness. I know now why the Bible says, I hath not seen, nor ear hath heard, nor entered into the heart of man those things that God's got prepared for His people. You know why? Because we could not contain it in this mortal body. That's why the Bible says He'll have to give us a new body likened to Christ. But the closer I got to that door and those rainbows that were flooding, the more I thought I was going to bust wide open. Folks, there's not enough dictionaries or encyclopedias for me to describe to you. Joy, unspeakable, full of glory. I remember getting about six foot away from that door and those rainbows were saturating all around. And I thought, this is it. I'm just going to blow up. That's when I remember waking up in the morgue and pulling the sheet off my face. I'm convinced that if I could have made it another six foot you'd have somebody else up here tonight a whole lot more short winded (laughs) and Buddy Ferris would be shouting upon the hills of glory there's coming a homecoming day for God's people while I was in the hospital I asked my wife for my Bible she said honey you'll not be able to read it since your head is swollen the size of a basketball your eyes are swollen shut I said, I could see through one eye. Please give me my Bible. She laid a pillow across my waist, reached over and got my Bible by the back of the binder just like this. She got ready to lay it down, and when she did, it fell open. Folks, you have to understand this is some three and a half hours after the accident. And these are the first words that I read from God's holy word it fell open to Revelation chapter 4 which speaks of the rapture. And this is what I read. After this I looked and behold a door was opened in heaven and the first voice which I heard was that where a trumpet talking with me was said come up hither and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. Immediately I was in the spirit and behold a throne was set in heaven and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. Now I read this next sentence. My wife thought I was in pain. I couldn't talk to her for the next three to four hours. I was crying so hard. She thought I was in pain. I thought I was coming out of that bed. For this is what I read. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. Go ahead and have your doctorate degrees. Give me all the theology you want. Nothing wrong with that, folks. But you'll never, ever convince Buddy Ferris. that the reason I thought I was going to bust wide open because those rainbows were coming from the throne of God. And one of these days, by God's grace, I'm going to stand for just a few moments and see those rainbows one more time. Only next time, I believe Jesus will stick out His hand and say, Buddy, you failed me in so many ways, but you fought a good fight. You kept the faith. Would you like to see from whence cometh The rainbows. It's going to be worth it all. One second in heaven will be worth every trial, every heartache. Just keep on pressing on for the Lord. What I've just told you is things that happened on that Thanksgiving Eve in 1979. You say, buddy, I'm not sure I'm going to believe what's been said here. That's quite all right. You know the reason I came tonight? To be perfectly frank with you, I've been sick for the last couple of days I haven't felt very well at all. And I thought, well, I just I just won't go tonight. And then I got to thinking about what Christ has done for me. I thought about all those times I've held loved ones in my arms at those accident scenes. And watched the tears and the blood run down their face, knowing there was nothing I could do. As they would reach up and grab you by the shirt or the tie and say, please help me. Sometimes the high on alcohol and drugs, they could hardly tell you their name. And there was nothing I could do. That's why I'm here tonight. Because there is something I can do tonight. I can tell you about a loving, saving Jesus Christ that can take away all fear of life and take away all fear of death. Jesus he is truly the answer in our lives. You'll never have real power and real joy regardless of the circumstances until you've sold out to Jesus. When I was growing up, there was a man in my community that he said, there is no God. I want nothing to do with God. Because my mom had arthritis, many times my dad would stay home with her And so as the oldest boy, I would many, many times walk to church on my own, ride my bicycle, do whatever. And I hated going by this man's house. He always made fun of me, called me the little preacher boy, and made me mad back then. He said, son, there is no God. You're wasting your time. He became sick and was taken to the hospital right around the age of 70. As he lay there in the hospital, he became so weak that he could not lift his arms. He could not lift his hands. they take a little dropper and drop water into his throat to get him to swallow. A man that said there was no God. Just a few minutes before he died, it took some seven doctors and nurses to hold him down. And the last words that man uttered this side of eternity, he screamed, Please, please get my feet out of the fire. Please get my feet out of the fire. He would give anything. To sit in a chair right here tonight at Eva's restaurant and say, I don't care who's here, God. I don't care who's here. I'm going to stand for you and I'm going to determine tonight that I'm giving my life to you irregardless because I realize I'm one heartbeat and one step away from eternity. But unfortunately, he doesn't have that opportunity you do and you'll need to make that decision before you leave here tonight now what I've just told you is very sad about that man but I'm not going to leave you on a sad note so like the little boy that went into the pet store with his dad and his dad said son you can have any pet in here you want little boy looked over in the corner and saw a little dog over there with a tail on it about yay long and that tail was just a wagon he said dad I believe I'll take that one right over there he said son which one are you talking about he said, Oh, you know, the one with the happy ending. <laughs> There's a happy ending to this, too. Told you about the atheist, and I'm going to tell you about my grandma, and we'll go close in prayer. My grandmother was one of the dearest saints of God I ever knew in my life. I remember growing up on the farm there, and she'd be sitting on the porch reading her Bible. Tears would be rolling down her cheek. I'd say, Grandma, are you okay? Now, my grandmother had an abnormally large smile. When she smiled, it looked like it went from one ear to the other, one of those great big old pumpkin smiles. She'd always smile real big, and she'd say, I'm just fine, son. I didn't understand it at the time. I do now. My grandmother became very sick at the age of 72. and was taken to the hospital. She became very, very weak. She couldn't lift her arms could lift her hand every now and then. She'd raise her hand up and drop it back down. It's all the strength she had. We'd been in and out all day long. Hospital room and nightfall had come. Everybody was out in the hallway and tired and worn. and The doctor had said there was no hope. As a young teenager, I slipped back into the through the hospital room with my grandma. And I reached over and got her by the hand and was just holding on. All of a sudden, my grandma looked up the ceiling. She said, all those lights, grandma, the lights are off. And all those people, grandma, there's no one here. It was the last ounce of strength that my grandma had I saw her smile from one ear to the other. She raised that old bony arm very slowly. And the last words that my grandma uttered this side of eternity. With a smile on her face. She said, and I know who that is. What a difference when you have Christ on the inside. The choice is yours here tonight. Behold, I set before you the way of life and the way of death. If you're born once, you die twice. If you're born twice, you'll die but once. The decision is yours. Jesus said, What should it profit a man if he should gain the whole world but lose his own soul?
9: Heaven, such glorious beauty everywhere. Heaven, there's no other place that can compare. Heaven, God's glory fills the air. Heaven, there'll be no more pain and sorrow there. Heaven, no more sickness and death nor despair heaven the lamb of god sits on his throne chair heaven is the eternal home for the saints the lord has prepared If you're on the road to nowhere, separation from the Holy God is a living nightmare. Your life may seem hopeless, but Jesus cares. Jesus understands and He is aware. That's why the cross He did bear. He wants you to become His kingdom heir. Can you trust and believe in the Lord today? If yes, Then pray the sinner's prayer. Father in heaven, I know I'm a sinner and have sinned against you. And my sins have separated me from you. Please forgive me for my sins. I confess with my mouth and believe with all my heart that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died on the cross of Calvary, that I can be forgiven and have eternal life In the kingdom of heaven Father I believe Jesus rose from the dead And I ask you right now to come into my life And be my savior and my Lord I repent of my sins And I will live and worship you All the days of my life Because your word is truth I confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord And right now I am born again I am saved and I am cleansed by the precious blood of Jesus, in Jesus name, Amen.